It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. United States of Crime, good afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. We must stop this mindless violence. In America. A 15-year-old boy accused of shooting to death five people last night along a walking trail in Raleigh, North Carolina. The suspect and one of the victims still in critical condition at the hospital. The alleged child killer led cops on an hours-long manhunt before being captured. He had a camouflage shirt, camouflage pants, uh, he had black boots, and he also had a backpack that was just looked like it was filled to the brim. That man witnessed the melee from his back deck last night. He was walking. And when I tell you he was walking, it was like nothing had happened. And he was just walking, looking straight forward. He had his gun on his side, and he was just walking. The Raleigh massacre is the 530th mass shooting in America this year and comes just a day after. Two police officers were killed in another shooting in Britain. Bristol, Connecticut, Judge Janine Pirro says crime is out of control. There is no fear on the part of criminals to kill police. There was a time when they were worried about it. They were worried about the death penalty. Now it's like they're just emboldened to do it. These Bristol police officers were responding to what they thought was a domestic disturbance. Turns out it was something entirely different. Former Connecticut homicide detective Brian Foley. This was an ambush in the purest of sense with the suspect lying in wait, heavily armed, multiple guns. Foley says those cops were lured to that scene last or earlier this week in Bristol. 13 cops have been shot, five killed in this country since just Monday. Former President Donald Trump's been called to testify before the House panel investigating last year's attack on the U.S. Capitol. Committee Chairman Benny Thompson of Mississippi. So he wanted to hear from him to help ensure nothing like January 6th ever happens again. The seven Democrats and two anti-Trump Republicans on that panel voted yesterday to subpoena the former president. Democrats really need to close this chapter. It is apparent from the last minute Hail Mary aspect of this that they got nothing and this is the dying gasp of this pathetic committee. That is Trump attorney Harmeet Dillon. A final report on the panel's findings is expected by the end of the year. The longest serving lawmaker in the U.S. Senate hospital overnight. 82-year-old Patrick Leahy of Vermont has served over 48 years in the U.S. Senate. He will not seek re-election this year. In Ukraine, Russia is now using precision-guided weapons from Iran as it continues to target civilians. Correspondent Charlie Daggett has the latest on a recent drone strike in the city of Zaporizhia. Children's clothes hang from the trees, blown out by the the force of the blast. There are no military targets here. Bodin Demidenko and Alina Grishyenko were asleep at around 2 a.m. when two missiles tore through this neighborhood. He said they helped evacuate elderly women from the higher floors. While outside, the cars had all burst into flames. Charlie Daggett reporting from the war front today. The Saudi government says the Biden administration asked them to delay until after the 
midterms, a decision to cut oil production. Molly Hemingway writes for The Federalist. President Biden explicitly asked for help in this election by delaying this outcome of cutting back on oil production. Former Trump advisor Stephen Miller. It is as clear and example of corruption as you will ever see. Miller says if a phone call to Ukraine was an impeachable offense for Donald Trump, then so is this. President Biden's in Oregon today, stumping with the Democratic candidate for governor. The solidly blue Beaver State could elect its first Republican governor in more than 40 years this year. RNC Chairwoman Rona McDaniel says the state of our economy is the reason why. You wake up thinking about the issues you deal with every day. You know it's harder to fill the tank. You know it's harder to get groceries. And so those are the things at the top of the mind of every voter right now because it's right in front of them. Now let's talk education. ACT college admissions test scores are down for the fifth straight year. Just 22% of students who took the ACT met all four college readiness benchmarks in English, reading, math, and science. 42% did not meet a single benchmark. The Centers for Disease Control has turned its attention away from COVID and toward the flu. It is especially bad this year, says Director Rochelle Walensky. Not everybody got flu vaccinated last year and many people did not get the flu. So that makes us ripe to have potentially a severe flu season. Walensky says the reason why flu has been lower the past couple of years is because more Americans were wearing masks to guard against COVID. Now that the masks are off mostly, the fear is that flu will be on the rise once again. Netflix is giving users a chance to pay less for its streaming service, but it'll come with a price. You have to watch commercials. The $6.99 a month ad-supported subscription plan launches November 3rd. Each movie and TV that is or TV show that is aired on Netflix will feature four to five minutes of commercials if you opt for the ad-supported subscription plan. And today marks the 60th anniversary of the start of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Correspondent Steve Futterman takes a look back. It began when an American U-2 spy plane detected offensive missile sites being built in Cuba. Within days, Good evening, my fellow citizens. President Kennedy revealed the threat and warned the Soviets. Shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. Kennedy ordered a naval blockade of Cuba. There was fear around the world. Cuba became the focus of world attention. Here centered the most critical threat of global war since the surrender of Germany 17 years ago. We think of the Cuban Missile Crisis as the moment when the world really did come to the brink. Author Evan Thomas has written about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Both the Americans and the Russians we're looking for a way out. In the end, the two countries reached a settlement. The missiles would be removed if the U.S. promised not to invade Cuba and remove American missiles from Turkey. That is Steve Futterman reporting 60 years ago today, the start of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Still to come on the noon report for a Friday, a new area code for western New York, deer car collisions in Pennsylvania, and the Yankees in action in less than an hour. Well, good afternoon. The weekend is teeing up to be a decent one. 
on weather-wise. I'll have forecast details coming up in 10. All right, looking forward to that, uh, Kevin Williams. Thank you very much. Let's check the stories making news next across New York and Pennsylvania. Today, folks, the last day you can register to vote in New York for the upcoming midterms. Today is it. You'll need a driver's license and a Social Security card to do it. Early in-person voting starts October 29th. The New York Public Service Commission has just approved a new area code for Western New York. 716 is running out of phone numbers. That new area code expected to be activated sometime in the spring or summer of 2024. This week's deadly crash involving an RV in Niagara County raising questions about whether drivers should be required to have a special license to operate a recreational vehicle. Some of these recreational vehicles are fairly small. They're not much bigger than a, a large van, but some of them are fairly large. I mean, some of them are tractor-trailer-sized vehicles. James O'Callaghan with the New York State Police does not support making motorists get a special license to operate an RV. A lot of our Class D drivers that drive SUVs, pickup trucks, and cars are frankly all over the road, too, because they're driving while distracted or they're doing something else in the vehicle. So it's one of those things where it really comes down to that operator being the responsible person they need to be when they operate that vehicle. Back on Tuesday, an elderly motorist operating an RV ran a stop sign at an intersection in Royalton. The accident resulted in the deaths of four people. If your travel plans this weekend have you traversing the Pennsylvania Turnpike, then listen up. There's going to be big-time delays on the northeast extension. The Turnpike will be shut down in both directions between exits 56 and 74. That closure is needed for crews to demolish a bridge in Lehigh County. A National Transportation Research Group says Pennsylvania's roads and bridges are among the worst in the nation. The report found that 15% of the state's rural bridges are rated in poor or structurally deficient condition, which is the fourth largest rate in the country. Similarly, 18% of the Commonwealth's rural roads are in poor condition, and 20% are in medium mediocre condition. Also, according to the report, the rate of traffic fatalities on the state's rural roads is nearly double the rate on all other roads in the state. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Thank you, Terry. Driving in Pennsylvania will increase your chances of colliding with an animal. New data from State Farm Insurance shows no state in the country has more animal vehicle run-ins than does Pennsylvania. Deer, by far the most commonly hit animal. Most crashes happen between October and December when it gets darker earlier and deer are more active, especially during hunting season. New overtime order in New York that decreases the threshold for overtime pay could likely decimate already struggling family farms. Natasha Stein Sutherfield is a third generation farmer in Leroy. She says this is yet another sucker punch for milk producers. Agriculture needs to be a priority here in the state. We need to be able to feed our own people. The Farm Laborers Wage Board recently recommended the threshold for overtime pay be lowered from 60 to 40 hours a week. The true impact and the true gut reaction for everybody is, I can't afford to pay that. Dairy operations fear the extra expense will shut down many local family farms. Syracuse police urging residents who live on the east side of the Salt City to lock their doors and windows at all times. That's because the past few months there's been 
75 home break-ins in that area. Most of the crimes happen during the early morning hours, and many times vehicles are among the items stolen there in Syracuse. Southern Tier Congressman Joe Sempolinski fears an avalanche of early voting will lead to election fraud and abuse, he says. The uh, congressman says as states enact laws that give people more time to cast ballots, more people may question the legitimacy of election results. We see, whether it's state or federal, a really aggressive movement to undermine elections. We need to have transparency in our elections, and we need to have rule of law in our elections. Recently, the U.S. House approved a bill that allows candidates to sue to extend elections after the results are in, in the event of natural catastrophes like a Hurricane Ian, for instance. New York leaf peepers, it doesn't get any better than this. The fall foliage is at its peak this weekend in upstate New York. The I Love New York website has a map that illustrates in detail the 2022 fall foliage report. Love those autumn colors. Some breaking news to pass along from the sports world today. Hall of Fame pitcher Bruce Suter has died. He was 69. Suter spent time with the Chicago Cubs and St. Louis Cardinals. Commissioner Rob Manfred noted that Suter won a World Series title with the Cardinals and uh, commended him for being a pioneer when it came to the split-finger fastball. Bruce Suter was elected a Hall of Famer back in 2006. His number 42 had been retired by the Cardinals. Bruce Suter dead at 69. Let's talk more sports next. It's the midweek or midday edition here on Family Life. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, tell me if you've heard this story before. The Mariners have the lead later in the game and Jordan Alvarez comes up to bat with a runner on base. What do you do? Well, Seattle pitched to him again and Mr. Alvarez parked it in the left field bleachers again and Houston took the lead and ended up winning the game. I tell you, the guy is one of the best hitters and sluggers in the game and right now he is dialed in at the plate. If any base is open and runners are on, he should be given the Barry Bonds treatment and intentionally walked. The Astros won the game 4-2 and they are now up 2-0 over the Mariners. Looks like Seattle's season might be coming to an end. Yankees-Guardians game rained out. They will play it today. In the NFL, the Commanders held on to beat the Bears 12-7 last night. Washington's defense stopped Darnell Mooney just shy of the end zone on fourth down on their final drive of the game, and that preserved the victory. On the ice, both the Penguins and the Flyers won their home opener. Sidney Crosby had a goal and two assists in Pittsburgh's 6-2 win over the Coyotes. In Philly, Travis Konecki tallied two goals, as did Morgan Frost, and the Flyers down New Jersey 5-2. Chris Kreider scored a pair of goals to lead the Rangers' route of Minnesota 7-3. The Islanders fell to the Panthers 3-1. In Buffalo, the Sabres won their home opener 4-1 against Ottawa. Elsewhere, Toronto 3, Washington 2. It was Dallas 4, Nashville 1, Calgary 5-3 winners over Colorado. Vegas 1-zip over Chicago. And the Kings fell to the Kraken 4-1. 
That is a look at sports. Thank you very much, Random Man. Still to come on the Noon Report. Not a bad weekend weather-wise. Kevin Williams in four minutes. The Capital Connection crew ready to tee off on the issues in the news from Albany and Harrisburg. And at the end of the broadcast, the golf giveaway gone terribly wrong near Little Rock. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Recently, the writing of G.K. Chesterton has undergone a resurgence in popularity. His Father Brown stories have always been popular, but his theological works like Orthodoxy, Heretics, The Everlasting Man, and collections of his essays are now being rediscovered, and it's not hard to see why. Chesterton's prose sparkles with wit and humor and is leavened with incisive thinking and observations about human nature. Of course, Chesterton also had and still has many critics. The most serious charge against him is that he was anti-Semitic. In his voluminous writings, there are passages that can be read as anti-Semitic, particularly as we look back on them in the wake of the Holocaust. The most serious of these are his condemnations of financial Jews, his reference to the Jewish problem or Jewish question, and his relatively soft stance against Hitler. What are we to make of these accusations? Well, first, negative comments about Jews are rare in Chesterton's writings, far more rare than his criticism of bankers and politicians, educators, the Irish, and any number of other groups. In fact, his harshest words were aimed squarely at the English. His comments about financial Jews are better understood in the context of his tireless championing of the poor and his harsh criticism of usury, when money is lent at ridiculously high rates. Here, Chesterton succumbs to stereotypes that were common in his day and age. Since the Middle Ages, the Jews were associated with money lending, finance, and banking. Because the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages prohibited lending money at interest, and because Jews were often not permitted to own land or engage in most trades, money lending was one of the few options available to Jews for them to make a living. This led to the idea of Jewish bankers secretly running the world. Now, Chesterton did not go that far. But he was a product of an era that saw Jews as being heavily involved in banking and finance. In reference to his use of the phrase Jewish question, Chesterton was using language from Jewish thinkers in the 19th century. The Jewish question was what to do about the Jews, a people with no homeland, who suffered from anti-Semitic bigotry wherever they lived. Chesterton's use of the phrase was anything but anti-Semitic, especially since his answer was that the Jews should be granted a homeland in the Middle East, a reborn nation of Israel. So Chesterton was, in a sense, a Zionist, hardly what one would expect from an anti-Semite. But what about Chesterton being soft on Hitler? Well, like many people who watched Hitler's rise to power, Chesterton thought he was little more than a puppet at the hands of smarter men, which is the context in which his softer comments on Hitler were made. He did not have the benefit of hindsight to see just how dangerous this man was. Chesterton could be critical of specific individuals who happened to be Jewish, but he was a close friend to many others. Further, Chesterton specifically disavowed anti-Semitism, a stance supported by the generosity of spirit that pervades his writing. His words may at time offend our post-Holocaust sensibilities, but taken in context, Chesterton emerges mostly as a friend and defender of the Jews. This month, the Colson Center has teamed up with a Chesterton scholar, Dale Alquist, to create an exclusive set of videos on Chesterton's understanding of the purpose and role of the family. Alquist has recently compiled a new book of Chesterton's essays that are called The Story of the Family. And for a gift of any amount this month, you can receive this book and access to the video series. Just go to colsoncenter.org slash October. 
That's colsoncenter.org slash October. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. For more resources to live like a Christian in this cultural moment, please visit colsoncenter.org. 20 past the hour weekend weather next. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life Regional weather forecast for this afternoon. Sunshine, some scattered mixed clouds, and a brief shower in parts of the Niagara area. High temps today within a few degrees of 60. Tonight, clear to partly cloudy, dropping toward 40. Tomorrow, some sunshine along with a brief shower in spots. The high in the 60s and partly to mostly sunny on Sunday with a high temperature right around 60. All right, all in all, not a bad weekend coming up. Thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report. It is Friday, the 14th of October. Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you, the listener, direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues. At the state capitals, they are, as always, Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. We'll strap in, fellas, just a little over three weeks to go till the vote. And, uh, you know, Jason, people talk all the time about that October surprise. And many are wondering in New York, uh, given uh, recent events surrounding Lee Zeldin, if crime is that October surprise. What say you, Jason? Yeah, I think we've got the twin issues of crime and the economy. They're still going to be the chief motivators behind the independents voting here in New York State. And this race will be decided by the independents. They were a, a large body of voters, a growing body of voters, and they're very concerned. When crime comes to your front porch, as it did to Representative Lee Zeldin, uh, it certainly indicates that crime is a leading issue in the upcoming election. And many are saying that October surprise in Pennsylvania, Michael, might be the health of John Fetterman. Uh, he suffered a stroke five months ago, and uh, he told NBC News this week that he's still suffering the effects of that. I want to play a little bit from John Fetterman and then get your reaction to it. And every now and then I'll miss a word every now and then, uh, or sometimes I'll maybe mush two words together. It changes everything. The question to you, Michael, is does a guy who requires closed captioning to read questions, is he fit to serve in the U.S. Senate? Well, that's a very good question, and just with all due compassion, whether he's impaired, physically impaired, mentally, is a question that people have. Uh, he says, you know, he has a letter from his doctor, but that's from months ago. There's not a lot of transparency about this, and the thing that voters need if we are going to have a legitimate democracy is full and complete disclosure about the health of candidates in this kind of situation, and uh, that's missing, I think, in the case of uh, John Fetterman. Uh, Jason, the gun control debate raging in New York. There's so much litigation, it'll make your head spin. You have uh, joined a lawsuit with a couple dozen churches in 20, I think it's 20 counties, over these new gun control measures. Where does this litigation stand today? 
Yeah, it's 25 churches in 20 counties and growing, Bob. Uh, people are reaching out to us saying they also want to be a part of this lawsuit, so more and more churches are jumping on. You know, we're going to hopefully push to hear that our case be heard in the merits, uh, regardless of what happens with the other litigation. We think it's important that houses of worship have the ability to protect the people in the pew, and this lawsuit establishes that. People in the pew deserve the same protection that Governor Kathy Hochul receives whenever she comes into a pulpit to preach or politic across the state. Yeah, and there's a judge in Syracuse who who's going to take this up again later this month. What's the nitty-gritty on that? Yeah, so we're waiting to see what's going to happen with that. Uh, you're probably referring to Judge Sudeby, and he has an order there. It's gone to the Second Circuit. Things are bouncing back and forth. This is not going to be over quickly. Uh, it is going to be costly. It's going to take time. But it's a principle worth defending, and that's the constitutional rights guaranteed under the Second Amendment. Yeah. The Oz Fetterman uh, Senate contest, Michael, has kind of overshadowed the race for governor, but that is equally as important in a congressman this week tell us that if uh, Josh Shapiro wins, that's Tom Wolf 3.0. That's what you're voting for. Why has Doug Mastriano struggled so much this late in the game? Well, there are a number of factors that are playing into it. Number one, he's running an unconventional campaign. He did so in the primary, and it was very successful for him in the primary with him getting nearly 45% of the vote in a crowded primary. That was pretty significant given that he didn't really have a lot of money and had massive grassroots support. And so he was going into this uh, general election and then with the same thought that he can run this unconventional campaign. But unconvention has not drawn a lot of money into the campaign, and that's part of the challenge that he has faced, is not having the kind of money, the firepower that Josh Shapiro has had. Nevertheless, he does have a strong grassroots base, and people may be surprised on Election Day if that grassroots base is really as powerful as uh, they are hoping going into it. Are his ties to Trump what's hurting him, or is that being too simplistic about it? Yeah, I think that's simplistic. Uh, you know, uh, certainly that's been used in the advertising against him, and there are certain regions of Pennsylvania where that is hurting him. But there are other parts of Pennsylvania where that is more of a motivating factor for people to turn out. So I think it may be a wash in many respects. Yeah. Lee Zeldin's talking about the dangers of one-party rule in Albany for years now. It's been that way. Jason, is this the year that ends? If you would talk about some of those down-ballot races, maybe some of those state Senate contests, that aren't getting as much attention. Yeah, there's been a Democratic supermajority in the state legislature, and so a two-thirds Democratic control in each chamber. I think this is the year that that breaks. Um, I expect that the Republicans will pick up enough seats to break the Democratic supermajority in the Senate, and they'll make great strides in the Assembly. So the legislature will still be controlled by Democrats, but it will be a lot closer than it has been in previous years. Yeah, Michael, you'll never forget what you told me election night 2020 that Pennsylvania was the poster child for how not to do elections. Uh, Secretary of State Lee Chapman was asked this week, hey, uh, given the closeness and how much these races are playing out in the national media, will we have a winner on election night? Uh, and she basically said, probably not. Your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, that's part of the election challenges in Pennsylvania because the mail-in voting, which has only been happening now for a couple of years in Pennsylvania, they still don't allow for the counting to start before election day. And that's part of what they say is the reason why it's going to go slowly once again. It's very disappointing to hear that because that's sort of the thing that causes people to wonder, you know, about the legitimacy of the election. All right, let's switch the page a little bit to get off politics, talk about some other things. Jason, on your website, we'll give that at the end of the broadcast. 
podcast, you're partnering up with another group and launching what's being called the Center for Childhood Innocence. Explain how this works. Yeah, essentially we're seeing increased hostility towards Christian faith and towards uh, traditional values regarding human sexuality in schools. So we've teamed up with Feed My Sheep Foundation. Essentially, uh, they are researchers and we have a larger platform and it gives us the opportunity to then raise this issue regarding mandatory sex ed and parental rights and whenever something occurs in a district across the state of New York that is questionable or controversial regarding human sexuality, we want to know about it. So we can research it, we can look into it, we can highlight it, expose it, and hopefully fix some of the problems in our educational system here in the Empire State. And speaking of raising red flags, Michael, you're doing the same in Pennsylvania when it comes to organ procurement at a Pittsburgh Planned Parenthood. What's that all about? Yeah, so we got a call last week from some folks who were doing uh, 40 Days for Life prayer vigils outside the Planned Parenthood in Pittsburgh, and while they were there last week, a car pulled up with a worker in it, and the car had labels on it. It had a sign in the window that uh, was from an organization called CORE, the Center for Organ Recovery and Education. That person went inside the Planned Parenthood clinic and then came outside with plastic bags of samples of organs from aborted babies inside that clinic, put them in a cooler, and drove away. And it just seems to be more of the saga of what's going on there with organ harvesting research at the University of Pittsburgh and ties to Planned Parenthood, which the University of Pittsburgh has denied. Yeah. Uh, and then in just a minute or so, guys, uh, Jason, not just uh, the, the candidates, but there's some issues on the ballot in just a little over three weeks referendum this fall, the Environmental Bond Act. Where does New Yorkers stand on that issue? Well, officially, we've taken no position. It's just not an issue that we generally engage with as an organization. But I will say that I am concerned about the debt load. This is another $4.2 billion that the state is looking to borrow. That ballot proposal will be on the back of the ballot. Uh, this is the Environmental Bond Act. It has very flowery language, but it means borrowing for taxpayers across the Empire State. Yeah, and what does it mean to be pro-life post row michael you're going to be speaking this weekend at a pregnancy resource center in mansfield heart of tioga explain to our audience a little bit what you'll be talking about well my heart is with uh, pregnancy resource centers like heart of tioga because uh, honestly in the pro-life movement with the overturn of roe versus wade i believe that pregnancy resource centers like the heart of tioga are the most important place for pro-life christians for pro-life individuals to invest their money to volunteer they're on the front lines they're under a attack right now. And so I'm going to be talking about what life is after uh, Roe versus Wade, how we can advance the cause of life, and to confirm to everybody that though it's a tough battle, it's one that we're winning. All right. Keep fighting that fight. Uh, it is worth the fight. Hey, if you have questions about the Center for Childhood Innocence, this is a new project by New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Uh, Jason, you have a wonderful website uh, where folks can go and learn more about what that is. Explain what that is. AlbanyUpdate.com And stay informed on all the issues. What is Planned Parenthood up to in Pittsburgh? Michael, you've got a great website as well. Where can folks go and check you out? PAFamily.org Thank you very much, gentlemen. Capital Connection comes your way Fridays during the Noon Reporter online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. The rainmaker of yesterday and last night has moved on. 
Cooler, drier air setting us up for a pleasant day today for most. And the weekend looks okay. A little weak disturbance may spot a shower here and there. Most of the time looks dry. For this afternoon, sunshine, some scattered mixed clouds, and a brief shower in parts of the Niagara area. High temps today within a few degrees of 60. Tonight, clear to partly cloudy, dropping toward 40. Tomorrow, some sunshine along with a brief shower in spots. The high in the 60s and partly to mostly sunny on Sunday with a high temperature right around 60. All right, Kevin, thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Finally at noon, a golf giveaway gone wrong. Family Life's Brandon Dixon. Yeah, Bob, check this out. A golfer in Arkansas is suing his local country club after it refused to give him the prize it promised him once he sunk a hole in one. The Moralton Country Club, east of Little Rock, posted on Facebook, and we're quoting here, Hole in one on number 10 gets you the keys to an F-150. After Austin Claggett paid the $375 entry fee and scored the hole in one on the 10th hole last week, he expected to drive home in his new truck. But the country club and the car dealership had other ideas. They're refusing to hand over the keys, so Claggett is suing them both. The dealership says the truck at the golf course was for display only, and the country club promoted it as a prize without the Ford dealer's consent. Brandon Dixon, Family Life News. Wow, thank you very much, Brandon. That's all the time we have today, Friday, the 14th of October. Get out there, enjoy those fall colors. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.